You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs. Hey, Kelly, I'm Dan Lipman. And I'm Kelly Daniels. Hey, Dan, and hey, all you folks out there in podcast landia. Good morning or good afternoon or have a nice workout, whatever it is you're doing. Enjoy the drive. How about that? That could be, yeah. Enjoy you know, your drive. And don't get, you know, enjoy that traffic jam because instead of like raging against it, think there's more time to listen to the podcast. And so it's a good thing that I'm How living in. How do you in... your uh, podcasts mostly? How do I listen to them? Yeah. What are you doing at the same I time? I have, it, well, I use my phone. And I have a what a really really grotesquely smelly armband that it fits in for working out. You've seen the workout armbands that have the little plastic sleeve, and you put your phone in it, right? In the bicep area. The cool kids use that at the gym. I don't have one. Yeah, I got one at Aldi. For those of you who don't have Aldi's, it's a it's kind of the dollar store of grocery stores in a way. It's a European. It's it's an interesting store, but they had them for like a dollar fifty. So I bought one. And it's falling apart, and it stinks. I need to like really wash it, and I keep forgetting to because it has that old sweat smell of months of working out. You know, Aldi is also Trader Joe's. It's the same company. Yeah, yep. Aldi is the no frills tra- Trader Joe's. Um, and I, I just when I'm on the gym, I'm at the gym, and I do a, just a kind of workout with headphones on, not headphones, but earbuds. And sometimes I listen while I'm mowing the lawn, although it's kind of hard to hear because the lawnmower is loud. And uh, so that's that's mostly it. I don't listen in my car because I don't have Bluetooth in my car because oh, it's yeah. an older car. So I'm kind of screwed there. Anyway, how but about you? But you got a lot of good Christian radio stations to listen to. Yeah, sometimes I do like to listen to Christian radio stations just to hear the crazy. And sometimes oh, they're not crazy. Sometimes they're reasonable, and and I think, man, I like, I kind of like this pastor. I'm not going to give money and or go to the church, but I, I, I would hope that there's more of them like that that can be reasonable. And then there's just crazy, which I love to listen to. Although, it well, makes I really me like feel there's bad. a there's a there's a network I think called K Love. You probably get it out by you. We get it here. It's on like three stations out here. And um, they have testimonials between shows or songs. I'm not really sure, but just people talking about how the radio stations changed their life and brought God into it. I, I love listening to them. I'm not. I mean, they're little narratives. You know, they they don't make a whole lot of sense. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of conformity and there's a lot of standard kind of boilerplate talk. Like they always find their faith. They don't. You know, there's always phrases that they use. But I I really enjoy listening to them. Do you think it's sincere? No. No. Okay. That's my attempt to transition in today's topic, and um, I'm going to start with a question. Um, do you see yourself as a? Um, <laughs> do you consider yourself a man of integrity? I had to, pff, I had to look at my page. I couldn't figure out how to say that without lo- reading my sentence. That was sad. So, are you a man of integrity, Dan? No, I'm not. Oh, Absolutely. come on! Of course you are. I mean, I have my own ethos, I guess, and I have my own ethical standards. But I would say that, like, um, that I, compared to some people I know, I'm rather wanting in that regard. Hmm. I've always I thought in an earlier episode, both of us sort of proclaimed in a in sort of a sly way that the reason why we're not more famous and or famous yeah. at all or yeah. at successful at all is that we have too much integrity. 
and it's been holding us back. And so uh, now we're saying that we don't, or you're saying that you don't have integrity, which really kind of hurts that excuse that we used before. So I don't know. Where do you stand now that I've uh, brought up that old podcast moment? The problem is, is that it's it's sort of like, I don't think a, an, a person of integrity can proclaim themselves a person of integrity. I think that I would have to leave that to other people to decide. Yeah. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever cheated on uh, anybody. I, I've never... So maybe in that regard I am, but I think that I, uh, my, I think my work habits are shitty and getting worse, by the way. Yeah, and that means integrity. The term I want to talk about today, and it may be kind of silly and it may be sort of immature, it was something that we were really concerned with like when I was in high school or the years after high school, and it's selling out. Oh, man, that band sold... It was usually, usually music back then. That band sold out, and it usually meant that they got more poppy and got super popular and super wealthy. And then that's when they sold out. Um, certainly Van Halen getting rid of David Lee Roth and hiring Sammy Hagar, Sammy Davis Hagar, well said, <laughs> Sammy Hagar, and then wimpifying their lyrics. And we, here's how Van Halen did it. With David Lee Roth, they went from ain't talking about love, baby, to yeah. Sammy Hagar, why can't this be love? <laughs> that was <laughs> that is so how that band changed, and they totally, introduced totally talking about love in a very uncool way. Yeah, and so um, you know, to me, they sold out, even though they were already giant. And so they, um, and somebody would say Metallica sold out. I'm sticking to these heavy metal bands because I, I I knew them when I was in high school. Um, but yeah, does well, it, can the same thing any, be said for writers? Any band that gets big, like R.E.M. sold out. And, uh, um, uh, oh, I was just listening to a great group called Das Racist. It's a rap group, a rap duo. And yeah. their first two albums they made by themselves, <laughs> awesome. And then they uh, they went on a big label, they sold out, and the album's shit. The same thing that happened to R.E.M. So it's not just metal bands. So what it's about, like, can we talk about it then as writers? Like, is it possible to sell out? I mean, when you... In, Obviously it is, but are are there any kind of ethical, um, have you shortchanged yourself as a writer ever um, in terms of your principles so that you're hoping to get um, some kind of success as a writer? Yeah, I would say absolutely I have. I, my problem is that I've had precious few opportunities to sell out, but I would say that when I've been presented with them, I have done it. Can you sure. think of any examples? Um. Uh, yes, I, 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 I published a couple of things that I didn't put my name on sort of, uh, as a, um, uh, ghostwriter type of situation, Yeah. but they weren't full length books or anything like that, but they were chapters written by other people. Somebody, when I was in college, somebody asked me to write a paper for them for a class and yeah. they paid me to do it and I did it. Woo! As a yeah, that's money. Hardcore. The real, the real, the Juliana Hatfield, you know, speaking, going back to music, I guess musicians really are uh, totally concerned with selling out more than writers, but Juliana Hatfield has this great quote, uh, or it's, it's a lyric to a song, you're not a sellout if nobody's buying. And that's really <laughs> been my problem, that nobody's really buying either way, whether I'm selling out or not. That's a great aphorism. It is good. At last, you guys will remember last week. Um, do you remember last week when we talked about aphorisms? Vaguely. It was a long time ago. Um, so yeah, we, there's continuity between these episodes. Um, has your integrity ever held you back? Was there ever a chance you had to sell out and you just didn't take it? 
Um, and not and hey, you don't have to be op- presented with the opportunity to sell out. You can make your own sellout opportunity if you look for it hard enough. You can find out a way to gain in some way by throwing whatever kind of principles and integrity you might have uh, out the door. Right. I'm I'm honestly trying to think of one, and it, it's certainly it's certainly not because I have so many so much uh, ethical fortitude that I haven't sold out. It's just I I'm not sure I've had that much opportunity to. I think when I was a young writer, just starting, I was really stupidly concerned about. I thought that really paying attention to market forces of writing and what books sold and what kind of books were out there and what what you know the kind of people that sell books want and i i thought that paying any attention to that all at all was not you're just definitely not an artist if you do that and so i wrote a, i spent a lot of time writing stuff that was doomed to not be published from the very beginning because it wasn't the kind of thing yeah that, and then i found out later like you know literary agents go oh yeah people used to read books like that 20 years ago but that's not been cool forever and it just you know, just based on the very idea of the book, it's being rejected, no matter how hard and how well it's written. And uh, that taught me a lesson about my principles. <laughs> they weren't really serving me very well at that point. I feel like every writer knows a, knows the story of a person who decided to go for the money and write a bestseller and really sat down and studied what was selling, wrote a book about zombies or vampires or something, and then couldn't sell it. Yeah, I think that happens. If you don't do it right and if you don't believe in it, it's probably hard to do. Um, what about, uh, have you made any compromise? I guess I already asked you that one, right? I'm looking at my notes here and so I'm not feeling very authentic and very spontaneous, but, um, I do a, I'm going to be very, I do a, like a, a a radio thing on, on the local public radio. mm -hmm. I do, it's called perspectives. And uh, I'm on I'm on now once every five weeks because they've gotten a whole bunch of other people to do it. But when it first started, they had like 10 writers and they weren't all great writers. And I'm not saying I'm a great writer, but I mean, at least they were like interesting ideas and they were kind of all um, they were unique voices. And those those original 10 writers are still in it, but they brought into the mix another maybe 15 writers, whatever, whatever the math. Yeah, well, they're just sort of peddlers of common ideas and. You know, sort of like the the whole Trump thing has sort of screwed everybody up because pretty much all anybody could talk about for months and months and months was how bad the election was and we need to get past this. We need, and it's just you just heard it over and over and over again. But even beyond that, um, I often feel when I listen to these other perspectives, I got to get out of this because it's it's just like embarrassing to be in this company. But I never do it, and the reason why the reason why I continue doing it is that is for twofold. Number one, I get pleasure in writing it and pleasure in recording it. And, um, but then also I sort of get, by putting it on Facebook, people who don't know how bad everybody else is and how it's not that much of a, it's not that difficult to get on there, think that it's impressive somehow. So I'm getting well, a little bit of sort of, of vainglorious good vibes. Well, you're there. building your platform, which is a, a term that literary agents will use often and because publishers use it and it means that people know your name. And so being on a radio show is a way to get your name out there. And is that selling out? It is a little bit, but it also, if you absolutely refuse to do anything to get your name out there because you're too good for that, then you're sort of a jackass, you know? I mean, you're just too precious for this world. And so I think that 
being really kind of finicky about selling out and about your principles is a weird, I, I don't trust it. In some ways, I think it's a way to make sure that you fail, but yet yeah. you failed on purpose under your terms instead of really trying hard and then maybe failing anyway. So I think it's but, a, there's a cowardliness to, I'm being kind of harsh about it, but to being too precious about the world that you can't do this or that because that's not, um, and, but then there's going too far, right? There's a point where you're just a whore. And, well, um, yeah, so there's, the, I guess J.D. Salinger is sort of the patron saint of the people who won't engage with the world because they're too good for it or they don't want to hear the response. Is that the same idea? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I mean, he got super famous and didn't have to do any self-promotion or anything like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, here's, here's an example. Um, I, I had a, a crazy upbringing as has been mentioned many times on this. And, and I understood that my personal story was sort of literary. It was worth something in the literary marketplace. And when I first started at an MFA, memoirs were super hot. They were selling like crazy. And I thought there's no way I'm going to use my personal story for a cheap book and write up a memoir and, and be one of those people and kind of join these hordes of self-help kind of like, you know, people. And I thought it was a cheesy genre and I'd never even read any memoirs at the point that I had this opinion of them. And, but I thought it was cheap and I thought that the novelist or the story writer was the only real way to be an artist and then I finally kind of got over that over years of failing to get anywhere as a fiction writer. And I said, well, maybe I should like dip into my personal story a little bit here and there. And, and of course, that's the, the stuff that started selling and, um, and getting published. And, and, it, and it was better. That's why. I, I would read it and go, this is better than my fiction. It just is more interesting. It's, um, and it's coming from a, a real place. And I'm not posturing as much. We're always posturing, and um, and so the thing that I thought was selling out was actually turned out to be the opposite. That this was actually getting to the authentic art that I had inside me. I think. Um, yeah. And uh, the, but then by the time I wrote my memoir, what ten years had gone by, maybe more, maybe like fifteen years. I don't. I can't, haven't done the the math on it, but that hot little phase of the memoir being, you know fashionable died very fast and there was even a backlash against it and one agent said oh the memoir is the new short story collection just <laughs> kryptonite publishing kryptonite and i was like oh my god and and That's so like a, a double dagger to the heart yeah i sold out finally <laughs> but it was too late <laughs> and you're also a short story writer so yeah yeah totally i mean I, well i already knew that the short story collection wasn't going to Kind of bring home the bacon, you know, and uh, the short, that's a good aphorism. The short story collection was, isn't going to bring home the bacon. So it's a cliche right, and an aphorism. That, um, that, you know, going back to last week, the problem is once you start thinking like aphorisms, you, it's hard to stop. It's hard to turn that <laughs> mode off. It's pretty easy to come up with 300 shitty yeah. ones really fast, I think. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's, talk about selling out. Maybe that's what we should do. But we would fail. It wouldn't get, they'd go, eh. Sarah Manguso does, already did this. That's that's exactly what the what the rejection note would say, right? Well, maybe Shopco is looking, you know, to compete with Target. Maybe they'll they'll invest in us and sell yes. our argument. <laughs> this maybe this will be fun. Um, what what are some things you just wouldn't do? 
in terms um, of selling out, in terms of getting yourself books and writing that that people read and that pay you money and or pay you money? What what wouldn't you go? How far wouldn't you go? Well, where's your line? <laughs> I'm looking. I, my first thought was straight porn. But yeah. I probably would do that if, if the money was right. Um, well, that would be your date. Okay, I thought about that too. Porn is an obvious one, right? So you come up with a... I mean performing in it. <laughs> no, I mean it's got to be writing. Well, okay, if you perform in it, and then you can write a memoir about it, if you become famous enough. Yeah. You know what? I think like uh, I th- I think I think it would be in the milieu of the essay. There's some of these confessional essays, and I don't know. I don't really read them in books, but like I read them on blogs. Where like there was this professor recently that it got a lot of heat. I don't even want to say his name. Where he talked about sleeping with students, and and he. He, it was supposed to be confessional and, you know, he was teary eyed about all the students he had slept with and it was okay. just so stupid and, and it was so embarrassing. I thought you were trying to talk about my essay in the sun about the, uh, <laughs> the, the love affair I had with a former student and you were just going to make this whole thing about me. That would have been funny, but it's not me, right? No, I don't read the sun. I have no idea. <laughs> That's true. You don't. It costs money. Yeah, it's, got, it's not free online. I'm only talking about stuff they see. But anyway, that that kind of thing. I mean, I just feel like the, the sort of like the fake confessional thing where you're acting like you're sorry about something that you did, but really you're just A, bragging about it, and B, trying to make some money and, you know, trying to make a name for yourself. Yeah, that sounds gross. Um, I was I was thinking more just, I was just going out there for things I wouldn't do and like getting a sex change. I probably wouldn't do even if I thought it would make me you know, famous. That's not a bad idea. Have you pitched that yet? Well, I think if you actually went through it and then recorded it, I'm sure it's been done, but I, I think it could be done more and maybe better. Um, you know, maybe like if if Caitlyn Jenner was a good writer, I'm sure there's already all kinds of books about her. I wouldn't do a sex change. I wouldn't commit a heinous crime so that I could get in the news. And then, I mean, anything that gets you famous will get you a book deal. So you could think of terrible things that you could do. Um, or just extreme things you could do. I wouldn't do anything like that. Would I write porn under a pseudonym? That would be... Okay, do you remember the the story about the Bigfoot porn? Did you hear about no. that? No. There was this... Um, on Amazon, somebody was self-publishing and making... It turned out, like in the article I read, uh, it was a woman described as a house wife, although I would describe her as a writer myself because I'm enlightened um, in that way. But she was writing Bigfoot porn, just pumping them out and selling them on Amazon. And she was making $25,000 a month and was going on for like, she did it. By the time the news article came out, she had had like three years of this and had made millions. And it was always just variations of the same theme. A woman... Bigfoot porn is is that what I think it is? It's just Bigfoot above- captures a woman, and and I'm sure the different. I mean, it had she had to write so many stories of it that's got to have all different circumstances and different kinds of women, and maybe more than one woman and different kind of storylines. But it's basically Bigfoot captures Bigfoot. a woman, takes her into the woods where there's a whole society of Bigfoots, and she becomes a sex slave. But then by the end, she's 
really loves it and is happy to be there. And and it's just all a bunch of sex, uh, sex scenes with a human woman and a Bigfoot animal. Bigfoot being the male, the human being the female. And um, and I know this because they the article kind of excerpted little bits that weren't pornographic, but were the storyline. And, and they always end with, and finally she could leave anytime she wanted, but she realized this is exactly where she wanted to be. She was home and she's in a cave with Bigfoots having sex with her regularly. So you know, anyway. I, as you were talking about it, I Googled it. Yeah. And is it author Virginia Wade's fiction debut follow-up of women who embark on a week-long camping trip to Mount Hood National Forest? And then, yeah, it goes on. There's a picture here that I want you to use for the picture of the podcast. I'll send it to <laughs> okay. you. Okay. Uh, yeah, it is. It's like Bigfoot, but he kind of looks like he's like. Hey, you know, like a guy in a Budweiser commercial, but he's just much hairier. Uh-huh. And he's got his arm around like a, like a pinup girl with long hair. And they both look pretty happy, actually. Yeah, it's good. You know what? Who are we to judge, Dan? Exactly. So, okay, if you could write that under a pseudonym and make just a bunch of money, well, that would be your day job, right? Yeah. And so that would be selling out, but then you could still write your literary novels and make no money. Because you made so much money on Bigfoot porn. Is Bigfoot porn too far? That's what I'm asking. Would you go, would you just stop well before you got to the the whole bestiality aspect you know, of it? Or I, I think Bigfoot porn's okay, but I would draw the line at the chupacabra. I wouldn't do any <laughs> Yeti porn, but uh, I think Bigfoot, he's, he's, he, you know, he's a, he's a simian, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's in our family. Uh, I think the Yeti is too. All right. Well then I would do Yeti porn, but not the chupacabra stuff. No way. Yeah, I think that would be perverted. Yeah. Yeah. So, um so yeah, there's that. Um I don't know. What else? I would write Okay, my final question on this topic is uh what would you do? What kind of selling out where you most people would consider it selling out if you're if your goal is to be a literary writer, but yet you would just totally do it if you think you could actually make it work. I can't think of, I honestly can't think of something that would be so offensive that I, that, you know, if, if I didn't have to put my name on it, I mean, I guess like if, if you had a, if you were asked to write something that's, um, let's say racist or something like that, something yeah. politically hateful, something about Elian Gonzalez, that, that gets, wasn't racist. You know, I think, you know, I always wonder cut, about like cut by the editor because it's offensive. I always wonder about like the big voice guys who do like the commercials for the for the right wing or the left wing politicians. Do they always agree with what it is that they're saying? Like John John McCain takes money from little girls and sells it. Do they? Is that selling out if you don't believe in the political? Uh, well, I think that if that's your job, you are a sellout. I mean, that's well, your, by your, definition. You know, you're being a if you're you know a kind of gun for hired freelancer that just will do anything that anybody hires you to do, um, then yeah, I don't think that you have any principles to start with. So you're not, you can't sell out if you've already sold out. That's an aphorism. If you, you know, <laughs> can't sell out if you've already sold out. That's not a very good aphorism, but it's sort of, um, I, I guess what I was thinking of is I would do almost any, if I thought that I could really make a dent and make a name for myself in like writing just straight fantasy, like, elves and shit like that. If I thought that I had that talent, and even though I like the idea of being a, a literary writer and, you know, kind of joining the literary conversation and blah, blah, blah. But if I, 
if somebody said, you know what, you've got a real talent for, for writing elf stuff, and I had an idea that I sort of thought, yeah, I have a new angle on that, I would not have any kind of, you know, shame or whatever, real big of me, I guess. Um, so any kind of genre I think would be cool. I would, that would be a, and, and you could always like do it in a different name. And then, um, so I, I, I guess I'm saying that I don't consider any of that kind of stuff selling out. And the only reason I wouldn't do it is cause I just don't think I'd be that good at it. I think you have to really like the genre, but yeah. yeah. Post-apocalyptic. I have to say though, that there is a long literary tradition of really good writers who have made their money writing porn. Yeah, like whom? So I, I think that porn isn't even really selling out. I mean, basically, there's always porn scenes in any book that's a bestseller. Not always, but obviously, you know. That, so I don't know, but I think I, I think I would say the political stuff, and that's that's right for me the line. There was some. Uh, I was listening to another podcast called Chapo Trap House, and uh, they were really they had like a book club, and they would read right wing like novels written by right wing kind of talking heads. And I guess that's okay. a thing. And there are just these fantasy novels where they have like a Obama like cowardly president and a great conservative, like general some, it's always a military guy and Obama is too wimpy to like, and too kind of like sympathetic with the jihadists to actually like act, do make anything happen. And then the general breaks the law, but does it for a righteous way and then kills the jihadists. And anyway, so they are doing this book club and reading chapters of this, of this book. And it was just, I mean, they were laughing their asses off, but I was laughing and crying. It was just horrible fiction and just despicable. I mean, it was just so grotesque. So anyway, um, I guess Bill O'Reilly's written a bunch of those books historical looking at stuff and uh, yeah i think newt newt gingrich has and and maybe some of them are better than others uh, um I don't, you can call him newton that's all right i called him newton newton gingrich well you can <laughs> call him fig newton. I mean, the fig the fig turn me into a newt is there is there a more ridiculous human being on the planet than newt gingrich there must be probably but yeah you have to look hard Timmy, you knew a newt. Was that a good accent? A yeah, newt. I remember that being a British uh, movie, but yeah, I, I, got, guess, I guess that was. A- I got better. Yeah, that was pretty good, huh? It's all right. Monty Python. You didn't get it. I got. I didn't recognize the. Remember waiting for Guffman? The yes. one of the Fred Ward, I think, is doing doing uh, impressions, and his wife can't figure out what he's doing <laughs> they're such bad he's like oh she can never get who i'm doing and it's fred he's willard. fred willard yeah. who is fred ward is there a fred ward i think he's a tv actor so fred willard yes i got who's it Fred Ward? i'm gonna google it yeah because I, I have a computer right here it's it's the information age yeah yeah he's an actor huh go figure yeah um fred willard should we? Oh, you know what we haven't done? Yes, because I wrote one, so I'm waiting to use it. You know what? I'm crumpling paper now. And we're just going to back end our duties. And I don't mean by duty, I don't mean like a child's poo poo. I mean the things we must do, our obligations to this podcast. What are your revisions, man? Well, Kelly, uh, last week I had written one more aphorism that I forgot to say that I thought you would it would mean a lot to you because we've talked in this 
podcast about making a name for ourselves and being established as writer and becoming famous. And uh, Sarah Manguso has experienced all those things, being a better writer and being able to uh, getting her stuff out there. So I want to tell you something, an aphorism that she says about it. Are, are you all sitting right. down? Yeah. When I read this, I thought of you. Aspiring to fame is aspiring to a life of small talk. That's wow. it. That's your revision? Mm-hmm. I forgot to say that last oh, week. Oh, so I you wanted that to be in last week's, and right. and it wasn't, so now you're trying to... I got it. Yeah, that was a that was a, another bullshitty little sentence. No. I, I agree. Well, I think what it really means is, I am famous, so this is what my life is like, and you shouldn't aspire to be like me because it's such a drag. Ooh. Well, I think that her book is small talk, I guess. It's like literally small. It's a small little book. Yeah. And uh, and it's small in, in a figurative way, which is unimportant and trivial. But it, it's big because it's leaving a big foot on the earth, and I, like a lady, would like to be fucked by it. <laughs> Absolutely, Dan. That's my favorite revision of yours ever. And my revision is going to pale. It's going to be nothing. And all it is is that listening to the Dylan episode, which I enjoyed quite a lot, I I was not a good arguer. I was just letting you go along with like these nonsensical just blah, blah, blah without challenging you at all. I was thinking of us as being on a... I was thinking of us being on... Hey, wait, wait. This is my revision, Dan. This is what I'm talking about. You don't get to talk over me. In your revision, I was nonsensical in the in the Dylan episode. Just clarify. I was not challenging you on some things that I should have challenged you. I wasn't really arguing my case in the way I think of like political talk shows where one guy is like really, you know, debating. And I was just such a lazy debater that I was just kind of let like just letting you uh, say whatever you wanted to say without challenging it. And I think that I should have done a little better because uh, it seemed as if I didn't care. And that may be true, but I should have pretended a little more. So that's my revision. And yeah, you should have, and you, that's not saying you should have been more sensical. It's saying that I should have reacted to your nonsense. So it's me. This is about me, not you. Well, uh, I'm you- glad you revised that. <laughs> okay. Did I hurt your feelings, Dan? Do I have to I take this you- back? Two revisions for the ages today. We, we got them in late, but the, but they were worth waiting for. Well, and RWT. Did that, did that sound, did that make sense? Yes. Well, go for it, man. We're, time is growing short here. We got to finish this dogger. Um, since we last met, my writing hasn't moved very far at all. I've continued to cut some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a poem, which I won't read for you, and I won't ever um, show to anybody, but it did happen. I always feel like, you know, there's always those stories of, like, coming-of-age stories where young men, this is a little bit gross, but, like, had their first nocturnal emission, and they're just like, what is this? What happened to me? Where did this come from? I always feel that way when I've written a poem. I look down at the paper, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, oh my God, I've got to get rid of this before anybody sees it. Mm -hmm. But that did happen. Did you like the poem? Mm, I liked it, but nobody else would. But you liked writing it, and in the way that you'd like a nocturnal emission, but you don't want to tell everybody. You don't want to show the the fruits of your labor. Like a nocturnal emission, I wish I had more control over it. But it just they just poems show up when they show up, you know. And you can't you're not aware of 
the forces that bring them about, but there they are. Well, maybe you need to kind of carry around a figurative hanky always, just so you're always ready to absorb it. Right. And like clean an it up. Po- an old poetry sock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. In a sense, I do. It's my drawer. Well, I'm going to talk about my teaching just because it's the last week of the term. And this is my last week being the fill-in chair of the English department. I've been that just for these 10-week term. You've been, excuse the pun, you've been sitting on that. I did not know that that Oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's just a pain in the ass. It's a, I'm getting all these emails about programs that I don't know anything about that were set up before I became chair and will actually take effect after I'm not chair anymore. And so I'm just like, I don't know. And there's somebody who's being a real pain in my ass, like somebody just sending me emails asking for shit. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be chair for one more week. And I can easily ignore this email then for one more week, and then it doesn't have anything to do with me anymore. That's probably not a the way that a leader should act, but well, that's, that's how a, I'm doing it. That's the way an acting leader should act, and, and that's that's all you are for this brief yeah. period of time. Is it another faculty member? Doing no, it? it's somebody in a different, in a non-faculty role. I don't want to get too specific. It's a staff member, put it that way, who wants something um, or just wants to... Just be a pain in the ass, I think. Somebody who just feels like they have a job to do and they feel they have some kind of authority over something. And so there's this demanding for accountability. And I'm just like, hey, man, (laughs) ain't going to happen on my watch. So (laughs) there you go. Not going to happen on my watch. The Kelly Daniels story. Yeah, I'm not going to answer the email. That's that's how it is. That's just not going to do it. And I don't care how many emails you you send and... uh, there you go. I, I should probably not answer my office phone, though, because that right. would be a way that that person could get me, and that would be a, tough. It would be tough to say, well, what I would have to say is, this, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I'm not going to be in charge when all this goes down. So so when, I'm going on to record, When we record our next episode, you will have been de-chaired. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll find By out. By the time this episode. drops, I'll definitely not be chair anymore. And uh, so... <laughs> Sweet. Just getting right, out. Kelly. Getting out before uh, getting while well, the getting's good. I'm not listening to it yet, but I want to say that this is the best episode ever. I can tell. Yeah. I think, I, you know, every episode is the best in its own way. They're think, like my yeah. children. You can't say that you love one more than the other because then the other one will get problems. And, you but know, I don't you mean just... this of our podcast. I mean of any podcast. This was the best episode ever. I think we probably are the best podcast. Yeah, I think that's right. And this episode is, yeah, I I, I agree with you. And I'm well, sure than, our listeners Dear do Sugar, too. for sure. Yeah, Dear Sugar is on hiatus. What do you think of that? Really? I didn't even Yeah, they're playing it. reruns throughout the summer because they're going to record a new season. They didn't do seasons before. They just did episodes. And now they're doing seasons, and they're asking the listeners to get involved and suggest topics. No, they're out of ideas, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. They they that travel. Would be a good idea for us too. If our listeners could send us some, don't send them to Dear Sugar. Send them to us. Yeah, we'll do a better job. I think so. We're way better than that podcast, and way better than all podcasts. So um, thanks for listening, all you folks out there. And yes. Dan, thanks for talking to me. Do good work. God bless everybody. Yep. Listen to Caleb. Yep. Send us your testimonials. Cow. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Student Radio. 
Gabe Tucker is our audio engineer, and Sub Atlantic provides the theme music. You can reach Dan and Kelly on Facebook. We always welcome comments, critiques, suggestions, and especially praise. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you hear, do a podcast a solid and leave a review on iTunes. See you next time.